Oh, 2020, what a year it's been. I think what triathlon has taught me is just to be myself. There's something about being the one who knows where you're going that is really empowering. So much of women's rights are tied up with women's sports. I was 54. I had a kidney transplant. If I can do it, surely you can do it. Hi, everyone. You are listening to the Iron Women podcast. I'm Alyssa Gadeski, and I'm here with my co-host, Haley Chura. We wanted to begin today by acknowledging a tragedy that occurred last week. While cyclists were on an annual 130-mile ride outside of Boulder City, Nevada, a box truck drove into the group. Three cyclists were injured and five were killed. One of the deceased is professional triathlete Aaron Ray. This is a tragedy beyond description and a brutal wake-up call for the work that still can be done to help make our roads a safer place to ride. We'll post links to the GoFundMe page that was set up to help cover expenses incurred by these those injured and killed, as well as a memorial fund in the show notes. We'll also post details about how to partake in a virtual 5K with a social media campaign to help spread awareness for everyone's safety on the roads and streets of communities across the globe. These were people, each special, and not just a number or a cyclist on the road. To the families, the training partners, and the communities surrounding these athletes, please know that you are in our hearts. Okay, Haley, it's never fun to come out of news like that, but we do have plenty to share with our listeners this week. So has there been anything happening in Bozeman lately? Alyssa, I think the only news coming out of Bozeman is just like our hospital waiting to get the COVID vaccine. I think that is like the news everywhere, right? I think that was sort of the glimpse of light that we saw today as we're recording that the COVID vaccine is um, being shipped out to hospitals or at least around the United States and I believe Canada as well. And, um, and I know that the number that Bozeman is expected to get is not nearly enough, but hopefully it will start to help get those frontline healthcare workers vaccinated. And, you know, maybe, maybe there is a light. So, um, that's, that's pretty much the biggest news here. How is everything in Charlottesville? Um, things are good and, you know, people are actually just getting ready for potential snowfall this week. We might be getting anywhere. I think the range we were given was four to 16 inches. So we are like, as you can imagine, people are going into a panic for that. So, um, that's a bit of, you know, exciting news. I know, I think people are kind of excited for it because it's like something new and different in these pandemic times right so um i feel like staying at home is also a little easier when you're like snowed in so maybe that will help the pandemic a little bit around here people will be not able to leave their homes as much and can enjoy some some nice snowfall um otherwise it's been been pretty quiet here too so i think people are just gearing up for the holidays on that note haley I do want to make sure we mention that this will be our last show for the year for 2020. We will be having shows coming out into your feed, though. Don't worry, you guys. So we are going to pick two episodes to rebroadcast for you throughout the holidays so that you still get your dose of Haley and Alyssa through your holiday time. And then we will be back with a new episode January 7th. Alyssa, speaking of the holidays, did you do any decorating this year? Because when you're talking about snow, we, we just got a bunch of snow here in Bozeman. And I normally walk quite a bit with Cowboy, but sometimes when it's colder and darker, I get a little bit lazy. But actually, last week, I walked in the dark um, to go get some takeout food. And 
there were so many homes that had lights out and it really like it warmed my heart even though my appendages were kind of cold and um i mean how are the lights around or i guess you're not in charlottesville i called i said you were in charlottesville but you're not in charlottesville you're in culpepper i i apologize for that oversight earlier yeah i um i i forget where where in the world is Alyssa gadeski but um but you know did you do any decorating this year so I did. I moved in with my boyfriend, uh, I guess about a month ago now in Culpeper. So no longer in Charlottesville. And in the the apartment that we have is like part of a house. So we definitely could have done quite a bit of decorating. Um, but we I I briefly I hung up a wreath outside and then I looked outside and I couldn't find like an accessible electrical outlet. And so I didn't really want to pull like a Clark Griswold and really like have to climb on roofs and like do all this crazy stuff to get Christmas lights lit. So we skipped kind of the outdoors decorating for the most part, but we did get um, a tree and we got a tree that's like a real tree. It has roots. So it's in a pot right now and it's like live and living and then we decorated it and put some lights on it and then our plan is to keep this tree for as long as we can and see how long we can keep this like how big is this tree christmas right now it's i probably two two and a half feet okay tall huge so it's small you know so you know i think for at least one year if not two we can keep it as like a potted tree plant in our home, you know, and just like have it living there. And then eventually, hopefully we're like, we have a yard or something. Maybe we can like plant it in the yard and then just like pull it in for Christmas time. So we tossed a lot of ideas back and forth about what we wanted to do. And I had always been just like toting this little fake tree around with me through all of my moves in my early career time. And then Matt was very against the fake tree, which I understand. So we really tried to pick something that was a bit more sustainable. And, but it's just... So this could be quite sustainable for a really long time. It's just a matter of if we can pull it off and keep this thing alive. And so every time we put water in it right now, the water just like we have like a river on our floor. So we're investigating that right now. We're not we think we need to get some more potting soil or something to like soak up some more water. So we're working on it. It's a work in progress. But for now, the tree is still alive. I like it. I um I got a traditionally like chopped down tree, just bought it locally and um, I love it. It's not super big. It's small, but it makes me very, very happy when I plug in the lights in the morning and the evening. And then I did put up some garland, some fake garland um, with those like pre-lit and I did go get an extension cord because there was no outlet. And I was like, it is worth it. I was actually inspired. My neighbor put up lights like right after Halloween and it made me so happy that I was like, I have to decorate this year. And so that's kind of, it's been sort of my neighbors who, again, like I, I feel like people didn't decorate as much in previous years, but maybe because we're home more and we all just need that joy that the lights bring that we're, you know, trying to, to maximize that this year. Around here, driving around is like a, to look at lights is a pretty big thing. And I think I can definitely tell more people are doing it with the holidays. So um, like a lot of the farms have kind of put up larger displays and then they invite people to like drive through their farm and see that stuff and things like that. And it does. It just it's cool to see like even the ones that have like a million things just like in the lawn. I love looking and just being like looking at each and every one little thing and being like, oh, look at that little Snoopy like stealing a present from under the tree. And like, look at that, like, I don't know, cat who's like clawing up the other tree. And I mean, it's just like funny Christmas cute thing. So it's good cheer. People are creative. But Alyssa, last week we challenged our listeners to send us some mailbag questions. Did we get any questions in? 
Haley, we have three questions. So we are having a not holiday related, but mailbag extravaganza to send us out of 2020, which I'm very excited about. And so let's dig right in. So first we have a question coming in and from our listener, she is training to do a first, her first 70.3 race next May. She loves swimming, biking and running. Um, she says her goals are to just finish and not embarrass herself too much. And she had a discussion with her boyfriend, who's a competitive cyclist in their region. And they were discussing the number of hours that he, um, you know, they both, but mostly he was training this year. And with no races due to COVID, she was kind of curious, like why he was still doing the intense training. And so he responded with, because I race to win. And that's something that you'll never know about. So not an ideal thing to say to someone who has just found the sport of triathlon and is enjoying the process. And so she's kind of curious, like, why bother really is how she puts it, right? So why should she be spending every hour extra, every extra hour training all these dollars towards the sport if she's not going to win? So whew, Haley, let's dive right in. You want to, you want to go for it? Well, I would say I don't think you have to train to win all the time. Like I would look at my athletic career and some of my most fulfilling races. I've talked about this. Like I've won some races and yes, winning is really fun, but some of my most fulfilling races were not wins. Um, I think about my run at the Olympic trials earlier this year when I got the marathon trials and I was like 304th, I was much, much closer to last place than I was first place. And it was so fulfilling. Like it was such a, for so many other reasons for just like, where I was in my athletic career for who was cheering for me for that experience that I got that made that such a fulfilling race. And, um, and then like, I think about one of my, I think my best triathlons was when I got ninth at the 70.3 world since 2017. And, and very similar as in Chattanooga, a lot of my friends were on the course, either racing or, or cheering. And I felt like I got my most out of myself on the day. And that was, you know, it, it was not the win and, but it was my training. I, I raced to my training and that was, you know, it really, it felt like I raced to my potential and that was very, very fulfilling. So I think that the idea that you have to race to win is sort of flawed logic. Like I think, you know, I think sometimes, yes, like that might be the, your potential, that kind of thing, but I don't think it makes any like racing for fitness, racing for any other reason, any less um, less valuable. I, I don't know. I mean, does that, was that even answering her question? I think so. And you know, I have like a spoiler alert for this boyfriend, I guess, because I, I have not won a professional triathlon, but I have won FKTs. Right. So I, in that sense, certainly know like what it's like to train for wanting to win and doing it that way. And my spoiler alert is that every like big thing like that, when I sit back and I reflect a lot about what the win means and everything, like all of the time, the win is secondary, right? Like the win comes from the gains I made in training and the process of it and like who I became by putting in that work. Um, you know, it wasn't about in the end, right? Hindsight, looking at it, it's not about that win per se. So the like process of training and doing things just for yourself is such a worthy investment to make yourself just a better human being. And I think that's like a huge win that might not involve like a proper start and finish line, but is 100% worth your time and 
investments if that's something you enjoy doing. So please continue doing triathlon, even if you don't think that you will win. And maybe you'll still surprise yourself and get a win at some point. Yes. And I personally don't love giving people relationship advice. I am a single person, but I, I, I enjoy reading about relationships and I enjoy, um, you know, thinking about them in different ways. And I had read a New York times, um, like, uh, it's called work friend by Roxanne Gay, where she, she writes about big people writing questions about different relationships, like mostly work related relationships. So it doesn't always have to be like romantic relationships, but, um, and, and this one did kind of involve a romantic relationship. And I thought it kind of, it kind of related to our, our listeners, uh, situation but she said I hope your relationship survives these circumstances but only if your partner treats you like an equal with respect and consideration and kindness and it says if he is incapable of these things please please find someone who is you deserve the gift so I'm again not providing relationship advice per se but just to you know think about things and maybe have that conversation of uh, it might make things smoother for both of you Haley, I think that was a great, great find on your part. So thank you for including that. And great question. Thank you for sending that in. We have another great question here. And Haley, Terry lives in Michigan. It's cold in Michigan, in case you didn't know that. I've been to Michigan before and it, yep, it's cold. Uh, she has a pool that is open right now, which she's grateful for, but she just hates getting out of the warm bed to go in the cold, drive in the cold, jump into the cold pool, get back out into the cold and drive home in the cold, right? So she does bundle up like she's going to Antarctica, but it doesn't seem to really make a difference. Do we have any tips for this? And uh, Terry, I'm with you. I think that like cold is like such an intimidating factor for the that winter swimming. And so I do a couple things to try to ease myself into it. And one is warm noon like I love I find that drinking something warm and why wouldn't you just use noon because then you're getting your electrolytes in and all of that rehydrating yourself for that swim and so I'll be drinking my warm noon on the way to the pool morning (laughs) midday and evening if it's cold sometimes I even bring the warm noon into the pool deck and have it on deck for me and so like if you're cold you take a sip and like when your inside body does warm up it actually it really helps even if the water feels cold Um, The second thing I do is I ask my, you know, coach for like hard swims during this time because I at least can brave the cold knowing that I have a hard set and I'm not going to be cold the entire swim, you know? So like ask for hard swims, find hard swims if you don't have a coach giving them to you. Um, Make yourself work. And then, you know, I generally feel like you're cold for a 300 and and then it gets better after that. Um, And then Sometimes you don't want to swim too hard all the time, obviously. So when I have to do a recovery swim, I try and get to the pool like right after my hard thing. So my body is still warm and I have a 30 minute drive to the pool, but like I do a hard workout. I bundle up, keep the heat on in the car, like keep my body as warm as possible so that when I get into the cold pool again, like my body core temperatures is hotter. And then I think the cold feels kind of good more than like painstaking, I guess, for a while. Yeah. And the only thing I would add is that I sometimes, uh, would suggest taking a hot shower and you might have to do it at home right now. I know that sometimes locker rooms aren't available and maybe they don't even have hot showers, but like just getting your core temperature up before you get in. I also think the bonus from that is that if you get your hair wet, like with, 
um, water from, you know, the tap or from the shower, it's actually better for it than getting it like chlorinated water in it. So, you know, stand in that hot shower for a few minutes and kind of wake up that way and get warm that way, then get right into a parka or like coats. And like, like Alyssa said, after a hard workout, like get really, really warm. And then, um, you know, it'll be a little bit of a shock at first, but, again, like Alyssa said, like cold pools are kind of nice, especially if you have a hard set, you know, it is, you, you probably should feel cold the first 300 in a, in a perfect world. I, I think that is about right. Haley, we have our last mailbag question to dig into here from a male listener. So Tyler enjoys listening to us and loves the insight that he gleans from our show. So thanks for listening, Tyler. And he says he wants to applaud the big step taken by the PTO, providing mothers support through the maternity, paternity leave, paternal leave, parental, parental. (laughs) There's the word. Um, But he thinks it might fall a little bit short. So he kind of, um, you know, he he's asking why not include fathers in some way. So he's saying he understands that like, The mothers cannot train and compete because of the physical limitations from pregnancy and postpartum. But to think that a new baby won't have impact on the fathers is short-sighted. So he's kind of putting, the PTO is putting fathers in a spot where they have to decide what to do. So, and he's coming from some experience where he, his wife recently gave birth to their second child. And he's realizing that, right, when he's home trying to help with the daughter, trying to help with or trying to do his training, all of these things and things fall through the cracks. So he can't imagine being a pro trying to put in 30 hour weeks, let alone time finding that recovery time. And, you know, is the PTO asking the pro men to kind of be in this position of having to tell their wife that they can't help with the baby or the recovery for the the wife um, because he needs to train to make money for the family. Right. So um, you know, he doesn't necessarily say it should be equal to what the maternity leave policy gives the women, but something to allow the fathers to feel good about focusing on helping their families and bonding with their child. So my first reaction is like Tyler Bravo. And I do think we've, you know, through what I've read and research that has been done, like paternity leave, leave for fathers, it is a great thing. And it does actually end up empowering women and helping women because they have, you know, that does even things out a little bit more. And the PTO parental leave policy, it does include a point that allows for male PTO professionals. So that assuming they'd be fathers, um, it gives them a four month freeze in their PTO ranking. If they become a parent of a child less than one year old, the same thing could happen for a a mother if she adopts or a father if they adopt. So, um, so there is a little bit in there for men that if they could, you know, freeze their ranking, which is, it is kind of a nice thing. Like you could not race for four months and you're not going to lose your chance to race in the Collins cup, or you're not going to lose your invitation to Daytona. And you could hopefully still compete, you know, get, you know, spend those four months with your new baby and then hopefully get on a start line and, um, still earn that end of the year bonus that the PTO gives out. I think that is their, um, you know, their, their thinking there, but I think this is also something to think about with sponsors. Like the PTO shouldn't be the only way that a pro is making money in, in a perfect world. You know, it should be one of the ways. And so hopefully that father also has, you know, sponsor support. And maybe this is something where we should be looking, you know, do, do sponsors provide 
paternal, you know, per, you know, paternity leave for men as well. And we've seen a lot with, like we mentioned the dream maternity last week, that movement with, you know, getting maternal leave at Nike and, um, how it didn't exist. So I'm assuming, you know, paternal leave doesn't exist, but I don't know for sure. So definitely something to, to like think about. And I'm glad that people like Tyler are thinking about that. And then we'd also encourage you to, you know, reach out to the PTO and, um, you know, say that this is something that you, you think they should do, you know, maybe provide besides just freezing the rankings, maybe there is some kind of financial incentive for the male pros as well. Yeah. Tyler, thank you for this note. And I will get in touch with you and kind of pass along some contacts for the PTO. If you do want to forward that up to them as well, I think the more they can get this kind of input and realize that it matters to people who are watching. Um, I think that would be a great thing. So thank you again. And if you want to continue filling our mailbag for 2021, please do. The email for that is ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And Alyssa, we have a great interview this week. We're talking to Jenny Hansen. And Jenny is one of Alyssa and my contemporaries. We were age group athletes together. Jenny went pro in 2012. So just before Alyssa and myself, she had some great results in her early pro years, including a win at Ironman Lake Placid in 2013. And then the years after, she really had some ups and downs. I mean, she had some really great races, but she also had some crashes and some health issues. And what we've loved, we loved catching up with Jenny and just hearing how she kind of used the pandemic break from races to work on her health and get back to full health so that hopefully she has her best racing in the coming years. So we did record this interview a few months ago and we really wanted to release it right now as sort of an inspirational story of Jenny and her love for the sport. And so we're going to have that conversation for you right after the break. You've heard Alyssa and I talk about how Form Smart Swim Goggles are revolutionizing swimming for well over a year now. With the holidays approaching, we can safely say that these are the ideal gift for any triathlete or swimmer in your life. If you or someone you know is looking to be more engaged during swim sessions and wants to take their swimming to new levels, check out Form Goggles at formswim.com or head over to their Instagram at formswim, one word, where they will be running seasonal giveaways, sharing holiday offers alongside all their great swim content. Alyssa, you will not believe who just bought an orca wetsuit. Ooh, tell me. My dad. No way. I didn't even realize your dad was a swimmer. It's news to me too, but really nothing surprises me these days. I think he really liked the high visibility orange sleeves on the Orca open water core wetsuit. So with the Iron Woman 15 discount code, he ordered one from orca.com and spent less than $150. That's a great deal. If any of our listeners want to be like Haley's dad, check out the full line of wetsuits and gear for open water swimming, triathlon, and even swim run at orca.com and use that Ironwomen15 code for 15% off. Hi, Jenny. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hello. <laughs> so, Jenny, we've known you really well throughout your pro career, and it seems like you've always made a point of racing local triathlons. I believe you even won the women's division at a local half Ironman near your home in Rochester, New York this past September. So I'd love to hear about your pandemic race experience and also why you <laughs> line up at local races, even in non-pandemic times. Um, I think, well, local racing is just, it's easier just logistically to get to. And, um, 
I think just in terms of financially, it's easier not to have to fly. I've also gotten sick from flying a lot on the way to races. So if I can eliminate that step, it's nice to be able to. Uh, and then this past fall, it was pretty much the only race I could race was this just one small local triathlon near us that kind of popped up. And uh, so I jumped on it and it was it was interesting. It felt like a race, but they definitely did a good job with safety protocols and all that. What kind of safety protocols did they have? Were you wearing a mask before the start? Did they social distance transition? Yeah, so it was, they capped the number of participants. I think it was at, they ended up being like 90 finishers or something. And then we were masked before, the, until the swim start. They did, they didn't do like a time trial start, but they did wave starts. And then it was, you know, all the aid stations were self-serve and, um, the transition was pretty well spaced out because it was a small number of people. Did you feel like you still got the same like buzz of being at a race that you might have in a previous year? I I think so just in part because I hadn't raced in so long. Like my 2019 season didn't even really happen and ended pretty early. So for me, it was just, I was excited to be in any sort of race environment. And it felt like, it felt like a fairly normal small triathlon to me. So and I think everyone else, the other kind of vibe I got was just that everyone was so excited to be at a race. So there wasn't really anyone be, like, you know, like how not to call out age group men, but they can be like seem super competitive with women sometimes. It didn't really feel like that. It just that felt ran felt super supportive. I feel like I'm trying to think of my local racing experience. If I have if I feel like that competitiveness with the age group men is like bigger in local racing because it's more of like yeah you're like in the middle of them more so than if you kind of are at the start of an Ironman or something a little bit bigger or something like that so um it's good to hear that like tensions were dropped I guess yeah yeah I think sometimes it's a little bit easier locally too because I like know most of the men so it's you know friendly with each other but they're expecting you to to be coming by so (laughs) (laughs) so Jenny in July of 2020 you wrote an Instagram post about the health challenges you faced in the last year and you said that during 2020 you had had a normal menstrual cycle for the first time in your entire existence so did the worldwide like break from racing here give you kind of time and space to really focus on your personal health like was that a, a kind of a big part of the year for you as well um, well, kind of was brewing all throughout 2019. I've been dealing with just this like femoral bone stress injury for a while. And uh, it was, it, I had an MRI like at the end of last year that showed that it wasn't healed after four months. And then I had another one kind of mid June that showed it was still not fully healed. But uh, I think a big part of that for me this year has just been doing everything under my power to try to get this under control because I have made mistakes in my past, but uh, without racing and having all that stress now was the time to try to get that under control. I think uh, part of not having normal menstrual cycle too is I just, I had an IUD for 12 years, so I don't know what my body was doing at that time. And I've had a lot of just like weird experiences where I've just gone through periods where I've felt awful and you know, been like training great and then just been terrible for a little bit. And, you know, it's one of those things where I just kind of want to eliminate the variable of knowing what my body was doing on its own too. So now was the time to sort of experiment with kind of getting the IUD out, seeing what my body does on its own and not having to worry about timing with races and all that. 
And a lot of women have like, it's hard to find a doctor that, you know, you can advocate that can help you advocate for yourself, you know, in these types of things. Because like you said, a lot of times with an IUD, the doctors will say, oh, you're not, you're not supposed to be getting your period. Yeah, it's totally yeah. normal and things like that. You know, what kind of, did you have a support system, you know, in the last few years that kind of helped you realize maybe it would be a good thing to kind of eliminate variables and really work on this? Or was this like your own, yourself advocating for your own health here? Uh, I think it was, you know, my OBGYN has been great just about like doing what I want him to do in terms of like blood testing and birth control and all that. But uh, I think a lot of it's been just my own like personal research and looking into things more so than having anyone be like, oh, this is what you should do definitively. So It's so hard because there's like no research yeah. on women. Right, right. <laughs> but when I had this like bone stress thing that just wasn't healing, I was like, I just need to get rid of this as a variable because I don't have anyone that's going to be like, oh, well, we should like monitor your estrogen. <laughs> that do kind you of think thing. the IUD did contribute to your bone stress injury? I don't think it directly did, but I think just kind of like indirectly because I didn't, I could get away with, you know, if I don't know if I was getting a period or not, or if I was cycling normally or not, I, it masked that. So I didn't have to like face the facts that <laughs> things weren't normal. So. so you also, when you say you got things under control, did that change like diet change, like any other lifestyle changes? Um, not really. I think the thing that's helped this year too, is just by default, I've been sleeping more just because I haven't had the early morning pool and uh um I also haven't really been running very much either so the I know the early morning pool and you're like darn it's closed yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's funny we found like we're we've been swimming a town over and the pool isn't like our our normal pool would be open just 6 to 7 30 in the morning this is open all day long and Dave's working from home, so we don't have to go super early. <laughs> so it's like that extra hour of sleep has been great. And Jenny, your triathlon career timeline is fascinating to me. So we've read that you found triathlon as an injured post-collegiate runner. You won your first indoor triathlon. You finished fourth in your first outdoor triathlon while wearing a baggy t-shirt and barely knowing how to <laughs> shift the gears on your bike. And then you really burst on the scene in 2011 when you won your age group and finished second amateur at the 70.3 World Championships in Las Vegas. So was your intention from the smart to be from the start to be an elite athlete, to pursue a professional triathlon career, or did it just kind of happen? It, it just kind of happened. You know, I, when I first started triathlon, I was like, well, maybe I could be pretty decent locally. Like, I think my run times might measure up like, okay, enough, but I don't know who I'll be off the bike. And then you know, I was looking back, I had like no idea anything about bike maintenance or bike handling. And you know, I hadn't been in the pool in 12 years. <laughs> and so, it, yeah, it just kind of happened in 2011. Like everything about that year came as a total surprise to me. I think I remember like heading into age group worlds that year. And a friend of mine was like, talking about the award ceremony. And she was like, Oh, you'll be at the award ceremony. I was like, what are you talking about? There's no way. <laughs> and so yeah, it kind of just happened. And looking back, I feel like I got away with a lot because I had no idea what I was doing in terms of like pacing and nutrition and all that. But and a fun yeah. fact, I can, you know, a lot of times I feel like you hear people saying this, and then secretly, you feel like they actually like did have more it, in their knowledge base than they are discover or than they're telling you. But for our listeners, I can tell you that. So 
I actually, Jenny, I stayed with you and Dave, if you remember, at that Las Vegas <laughs> yes, race yeah. in 2011. We were sharing yeah. a hotel room because a mutual friend had kind of like coordinated for us that we knew each other. And we're both going to this race to be able to just, you know, stay together and things like that. And I can honestly say that, like, you know, I didn't know that much at the time, but like Jenny definitely really was like <laughs> in it just to have fun, like was just there to compete. And I mean, you're obviously, you know, you have an athletic background and you know how to race. And so that was like coming through, but um, it has been like super fun to watch, you know, that kind of success happen kind of, you know, I don't want to say by accident. Cause I don't, I think it was quite deliberate in some of the things that you were doing, but you know, I guess, how did you approach it? Like from that time, like, was your focus on kind of learning a lot of the nitty gritty triathlon stuff, like the skills and the nutrition and things like that? Or were you just like always kind of in it to race? And that was, you know, that's been the focus kind of. Um, I think, I don't even know. I, when I first got into it, I just kind of, I had gotten injured and I was like, well, I've been biking cross training for so long. I might as well actually just buy a bike and enter a triathlon and have a purpose for it. And, uh, so I think I was pretty much just at first, I was very much like the runner who dabbled in triathlons and just like to race them. And then as time went on I started to focus a little bit more on like oh well you know I could probably pick up a lot of time on the bike if I you know got a helmet and you know got a wheel set and that an was arrow helmet an arrow helmet yes. you were riding with a helmet before <laughs> yeah yes very true I mean, an arrow helmet but uh yeah I think when my when Dave when my husband started to get into it too a little bit more I started to look more at like some of the technical stuff but it probably wasn't until I just decided to like take the pro card and sign up for an Ironman that I realized I should get coaching and look at the nutrition and do training that was more than just like go out and hammer every day. (laughs) And so 2012 was your first year as a pro and you really made your mark with a second place finish at Ironman Lake Placid in July. I believe that was your first ever Ironman and you finished second pro female, right? Less than 10 minutes behind the winner who's Jesse Donovan. So was that surprising to you? Like, what was it like for you going into that race? Did you see that coming at all? No, I don't think I saw that coming at all. I think I remember going into that day, just being wanting to be like top five or six or however many got paid or trophies or whatever. And, uh, I remember before that race, uh, former teammate of I said to me, he's like, you just, you know, your first Ironman, you just have no idea that what's going to happen beyond like hour seven or eight. Cause that's as far as you go in training. So I just, it's like, well, you know, I'll go out and I'll just focus on my nutrition and my pacing and see what happens. And, and good things happened. And then they continued to happen because in May, 2013, you finished second again at Ironman, Texas. In July, you returned to Lake Placid where you crossed the finish line first and you became an Ironman champion. So at that point, I think you were 29 years old and you've been racing professionally for only a year and a half. Did it just seem like you were born to race Ironman and just like everything you touched turned to either gold or silver? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think kind of looking back, it's sort of like, it came too easily for me at first, I think. And, uh, you know, it was kind of nice coming up through the pro ranks at a time where they had the different like P1000, P2000 races. Cause I think that sort of allowed me to be able to go out and have races where I could be competitive within the field. And, uh, but yeah, I just remember it was like, 
training for Placid, I, you know, I kind of seen the start list and I was like, well, maybe I have a shot. <laughs> you know, I just kind of went out there and it happened. And yeah, it was, it was almost a little too smooth at first. And three weeks after that big win in Placid, you raced Ironman Mount Tremblant. And this was now during the time that there was a Kona point system and yes. Tremblant was the North American championship and you needed to race well there to get enough points to qualify yourself for Kona. So yeah. You ended up finishing sixth. You got your Kona sp- spot, but Kona then ended up being your fifth Ironman yes. in 12 <laughs> months. So yes. do you think that you had to overdo it while you were chasing those points? Oh yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I did. And I don't think it manifested until Kona. Uh, it, you know, it, everything felt so good up through that. And I was like, Oh, this is, I can do this. This isn't too much, but I just remember that stretch between Tremblant and Kona being rough like I just was tired all the time I just wanted to sleep all the time and I was like super stressed at work during that time and then Kona I remember I felt good through the swim and bike but I just remember getting off the bike and starting to run and just being like this is this does not feel right so yeah it did take a toll and but in 2014 you had some solid results you finished fifth at the Ironmans in Texas and Coeur d'Alene third in Chattanooga but then you crashed at Ironman Cozumel. So yeah. can you tell us about that crash? Yeah, it was, you know, it's, it's funny because it, I remember it a little too clearly, but I think that's actually, that's a good thing. So that I didn't have a head injury, but I just, I was like 15 minute miles into the bike and I just went to refill my front bottle. And I don't know if I, there was like a gust, I was screwing around. So the bottle was collapsing into itself. And I don't know if it was, it was a windy portion of the course. And I just remember like starting to lose control of the bike. And I was like, well, what the heck? This isn't how my season's supposed to end and trying to correct. And then I just kind of went off the side of the road. And like my immediate reaction was just to like get back up, get back on the bike. But then like an hour later, things are starting to hurt more and more. And then I was going through town and sat up and to break to go around the corner and like the bars on my bike dropped. So I stopped and the second I put weight through my right leg, I was like, I can't wait there. I need to stop. And, you know, then there was immediately like people talking in Spanish surrounding me. And yeah, that was interesting. I was going to say it's stressful to crash and have that happen in a race. It's even more stressful when it's in another country for sure. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And it was, I, like I had just passed Dave probably a couple miles before that. So then it was, you know, People were like taking my bike from me. I don't know where my bike ended up. Like somebody just took it. But in the moment, I wasn't thinking clearly about where my bike's going. And like we were trying to get a hold of Dave. And it was confusing. <laughs> what did your physical injuries end up being? So I uh, I had I had a fractured sacrum and then two fractures on the right side of my pelvis. And then I had damaged my hip joint, but I didn't realize it for like, six, four or five months because I couldn't run for that long. It wasn't until I started running again that it manifested itself. And then there's uh, probably broke a couple of ribs in there. No, don't know for sure. And then I uh, kind of messed up my left SI joint. But. So your recovery was, was several months or even a year long. Yeah. Yeah. It dragged out for a while. And part of it was my own doing because I was not, I was doing too much too soon on pretty much every stage of it but yeah 
And Jenny, in addition, in addition to the physical injuries, you've also talked a little bit about the anxiety you felt while riding now, like as recently as this year. So have you like come up with strategies? How have you worked through that anxiety and gotten back on the bike and back on the road? Yeah. So I remember it, it kind of sucks because it like I crashed right before winter. So I couldn't ride outside for a while anyway. So I think that built it up more in my mind than it needed to be. So I just the whole like probably 2015, I don't think I took my hand off the bars biking once, which I didn't race because I was having hip surgery and stuff. But I just remember like every time I rode, I like wanted to cry <laughs> at first. And then because I had surgery and didn't do much that year, I didn't I just didn't have that much exposure to being outside in the bike. And then uh, I think I had to, I originally had to force myself to get over it just because I wanted to race again, but it probably, it wasn't, I feel like I still just tried to avoid riding outside as much as possible just because I had it in my mind that something could happen and then I won't get to race. So I would just kind of do a minimal amount to feel comfortable enough to race. And it sort of stayed that way. I'd say probably until like, 2018 when I started to just put myself into some races that had some pretty crazy conditions out there that things finally got better and I think this year it's just it's kind of just been a non-issue like I've been just gone out and ridden and been comfortable and I think not having the stress of racing has allowed me just to enjoy it more so it's just kind of time healed things for you yeah yeah it was just a matter of just time and exposure and forcing myself to get out there more and more if and I've you... seen that did, oh, sorry, Haley, but I I think I've seen that you got a, on the gravel bike recently. Has that helped yes. at all with that? Like, was that part of it to be away from traffic or, um, you know, just kind of, you know, even a road bike setup versus a TT bike setup would be maybe a little bit more comfortable? Yeah. So I, I've had a mountain bike for a couple of years, which helped, but I think a lot of like real mountain biking is just way over my head so we got the gravel bikes this year just so I thought it'd be fun to just go off road and explore more and you know be in totally like quiet environments and it's been it's been a lot of fun and there's some stuff I've gone up and down on the gravel bike that I'm like okay this is ridiculous like the TT bike is nothing now and you mentioned not racing much during, you didn't race at all during 2015 when you were recovering from the physical and mental injuries that from that crash. And if I have my timeline correct, I believe you were able to race a few 70.3s in 2016. And then in 2017, you returned to the Ironman circuit with a third place finish yes. at Montremblant. So did you feel like your injury was fully behind you at that point and you might be on another Ironman podium role? Um. It, it took a while. I mean, 2016, I just had a lot of like just random weird pain still. No one really knew what it was. And then it kind of like we figured it was eventually a sports hernia. And I had surgery for that at the end of 2016. And I also had the uterine thyroid removed at the end of 2016. So I went through like this really slow build the start of 2017. And actually like everything did feel really good for most of that year. So by the time I got to Tremblant, I was extra ready to go, actually, because I had tried to race in Australia and gotten sick. But uh, I didn't I wasn't necessarily expecting to, like, come out and have a great race there. I just wanted to get back into Ironmans and remember what it felt like. So. 
And you definitely did, you know, get back into Ironmans in a big way because in the summer and fall of 2018, we saw you on what, you know, another kind of Ironman role. You were the sixth uh, pro finisher at Lake Placid that July. You were the second pro finisher at Ironman Wisconsin in September and fifth in Taiwan a few weeks after that. So, you know, you obviously had experiences racing multiple Ironmans kind of in close proximity time-wise and stuff. Did you feel like you were approaching it differently now with what you had learned in the years prior? Um, Yeah, to some degree. I think, you know, Placid had kind of ended up being just sort of like a nutritionally and mentally limited race. So I recovered pretty well from that. And then after Wisconsin, I was kind of just like, on this high and I was like screw it let's go do something crazy and go to Taiwan so um yeah I think I was actually I was kind of sort of down on myself after Placid too so I think it actually worked out because I wasn't like I was just not I wasn't super motivated (laughs) so I was kind of like not overdoing things at the time but it sounds funny to say you were able to race a lot but you weren't overdoing things in training in between is that the difference Pretty much. I mean, then I did try to race Argentina and I was just completely fried by that point. But yeah, um, the the build kind of between Placid and Taiwan was really reasonable and nothing super crazy. I don't think I topped out at like maybe like a couple 20 hour weeks in there. So it wasn't anything super crazy. Is there anything you do different now to know when you're like reaching that kind of fried point? Um, I think I've come to recognize that like if I see my heart rate shoot up I know I'm kind of treading on sort of dangerous ground there so I've kind of recognized that as a sign um if I'm just like if I, if I feel like super puffy if I just want to sleep like I feel like I used to just be like oh I just need to push through that but now I've come to realize like these are the signs that you need to dial it back here and now and not go down that slope again it sounds like some places you were adding kind of on a whim. Is that was it more like kind of thought out, or was it kind of like in the days after, like I still feel good, I'm excited to race, or like I'm a little disappointed, I want to do it again soon? How you know? Did you have an approach when you were racing so many like that? Um, well, after <clears throat> after Placid, Dave was racing Wisconsin, so I was like, okay, you know, what? I'm gonna be there. It's a women's only field. I really like that format, so might as well. Like, there's nothing to lose with jumping in that race and I kind of I actually if he hadn't been racing I don't know if I would have gone and raced it just because I was kind of like not really feeling it for a few weeks of training at first and then Taiwan was just we wanted to like go do some go to somewhere crazy and interesting and do an interesting trip so you've been a long time QT2 systems QT2 systems athlete. Have you worked with the same coaches throughout your whole triathlon career? So I, my first couple of years, I worked with Mary Eggers under QT2 and then she decided to leave the team and I switched over to Jesse Krappelnicki. So I've been with him driving him nuts since that time. And so how has your training with Jesse kind of evolved as you work through now these injuries and illnesses and just, you know, evolved as an athlete and kind of matured and like what, you know, um, yeah, it's every, it's been like totally, it's changed a lot throughout the course of the years. I think at first it was very much like I was almost 
like intimidated by him and felt like I had to do everything he said. Now it's a lot more of a collaboration. And uh, there's been a lot of times where we've both just kind of like thrown up our arms and been like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I mean, because it's been, I think there is something to say with sticking with the same person throughout all this sort of stuff because it's just they know your history and it's been a lot of trying to just figure out the best path forward and having someone that has my back. So. And we mentioned your love of local races earlier in this conversation, but it also it's also obvious you love certain Ironman courses too, including Lake Placid, Mont Tremblant, which are somewhat local to you in Rochester. Yep. So does knowing a course give you more confidence on race day? Yeah, I definitely think so. I think it's, you know, I know both of those courses like the back of my hand now. So it definitely is helpful to know what's coming and know where, where like my strengths and weaknesses on the courses are. And you've mentioned your husband. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, it's also fun sometimes though, just to like go into things blind and have no idea what I'm getting myself into. Yeah. You don't seem like you shy away from that, but you mentioned your husband, Dave, several times. And do you really enjoy racing together? I do enjoy racing with him. He, uh, and uh, we're competitive with each other, I'll admit it. And uh, we definitely have different strengths, but it's it's just fun when we're both like on the same course. And even leading up to that, it's kind of nice to be like, we don't necessarily train together. Like we'll go to the pool together and we'll train at the same time, but it's kind of nice to just be on the same page as someone in terms of what we're going through at the time. You're the same amount of tired at, like certain times of the year, like when you're both like in heavy training, everyone's really tired and like no laundry is getting oh, yeah. done. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. So I mean, there's pluses and minuses to that, but I think it's good because neither of us is like pissed off at the other person for not doing stuff around the house because we're both just like yeah. There's like it. no <laughs> arguments when like you just want to order dinner every night. So yeah, <laughs> exactly, really exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So Jenny, all the ups and downs in your career means that you've also been to races as like a spectator or a coach in addition to obviously having raced them. So do you find it emotionally hard to be kind of injured and on the sidelines, maybe even like on crutches, you know, on those same streets where you once were leading in the pro field? Like how kind of have you managed that? Yeah, that's been interesting. You know, it's, it's, I've spectated races in a lot of different states, like two days pre-op and on crutches and it's always kind of you kind of get like race day you get swept up in the adrenaline of the race to some degree but then it's afterwards it's like oh man you know everyone's walking around after finishing this race and I'm over here like not feeling so hot about myself and it is hard it is hard I've had some emotional breakdowns (laughs) watching races before is it just the way to do it just to let yourself be emotional yeah, I mean, I think I, I've i kind of found it's best just not to fight it when it comes, but then to just redirect my attention and pull myself back out of whatever funk I'm in. And it's still worth it to be out there, a part of that event, even if you aren't the athlete. Oh, yeah, definitely. I remember just like even last year watching Dave on Kona when I was on crutches, I was like, I'm going to see how many places on the course I can crutch to. And it was like this great challenge to see how much of the run I could see. So it was, it was fun being out there. 
And Jenny, in a nod to hurricane naming, you've written about how you're currently in the Greek alphabet in terms of triathlon <laughs> plans. So you face a lot of challenges. What has kept you going, still training, and still racing when you can? I don't, you know, I honestly have wondered that myself. I think it's just, I have, feel like I haven't, I still have unfinished business with it. And I just, look, I just love it. I mean, I think last year when I couldn't do anything, I was just so miserable. <laughs> so uh, now that I, even without racing now, it's like now that I'm at least training, it's just, it's just, I'm enjoying it and I'm still having fun racing and I still get satisfaction out of it. And I still feel like I can accomplish things, even if they're not fantastic, but the unfinished business, can you share any of that with us? Um, I, well, I don't know. It's just, uh, I have always, I don't know if they'll bring a pro field back to Cosmel or not, but I've wanted to finish that race since I crashed there. At the very least I could go to the 70.3 there and, you know, now I have a DNF at Tremblant and I want to invent and just kind of keep rolling with it and, you know, finish the races I haven't finished and that kind of thing. And Jenny, you also work as a physical therapist. So do you think that's helped you return from injury or are you your own worst patient when it comes to, you know, looking at your own body? Oh, I'm a, I would be a terrible patient. I, uh, <laughs> it's like, it's so easy to advise people and so hard to take your own advice I think and you know I feel like it does it to some degree it just it guilts me into taking care of myself a little bit better these days but if nothing else it uh I have empathy for people and I can relate but uh yeah it's much much easier to look at things objectively when it's not you Empathy is a good skill these days. Jenny, we love dogs, and we also know you are a big fan of dogs. I think we heard one of your dogs make a guest appearance earlier in this podcast. So we're recording this interview just after Halloween. Can you tell us about your dogs and their Halloween costumes? Because I saw a few photos posted online. (laughs) Yes, I, uh, Bailey was the chili dog. She's hit her. She's our 11 and a half year old hound. So she's been a chili dog on and off throughout the years. And Cody, the one who never shuts up, was a cactus. They're both really thrilled about their costumes, as usual. I love it. I think that's definitely my favorite. I love seeing people's children dressed up, too, for everyone who posted children pictures. But I do think I am partial to the dog dressing up photos for the Halloween time. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But but there are two now. They're they're patient with it <laughs> and Jenny thanks so much for your the best place for our listeners to follow you online actually I think you're it looks like you are still blogging but you might be like re you maybe had to redo your website so tell us kind of where to find you um on social media and if your website's up and running yeah so I uh I, I like the google blog I forgot to update my credit card and then it got deactivated and then it's like it's impossible to figure out how to like get into a google admin site i tried so hard so i just restarted a wordpress blog which i haven't really done anything with the site yet that's i i forget what the actual url is to it but it's linked under my instagram is jl hansen 929 that's probably where i post the most and then that links to facebook and 
my Twitter handle is the same, but I don't think I've done anything on Twitter in a while. So. Well, we will be sure to link to your brand new blog in our show notes so our listeners can check out your musings and your writings online. But thank you so much, Jenny, and uh, happy belated Halloween and, and good luck thank with you. your continued return to racing. Can't wait to see you back out on a race course sometime in hopefully 2021. Yes, hopefully 2021. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Okay, Alyssa, it's quiz time. Please tell me which noon hydration product I should be drinking during the following scenarios. First up, a two-hour hard bike workout. Ooh, I'd go with noon endurance because you need some carbs for that. All right, second question. An easy shakeout swim. Probably some noon sport. Keep it light. What about working from home? Noon sport yet again. Final question. A three-day, 16-hour, fastest-known time attempt on the 46 high peaks of the Adirondacks. I'd definitely say noon instant for sure. All the electrolytes, please. Ding, ding, ding. You got them all right, Alyssa. And I think it's obvious there's a noon hydration product for every time in life. Iron Women podcast listeners can try them all and get 30% off using the code livefeisty at noonlife.com. Again, that's livefeisty, all one word with a capital L and a capital F. Use that code for 30% off any purchase at noonlife.com. triathlon is certainly hard on your skin without a doubt. That was Teresa Helsold, dermatologist PA and accomplished triathlete. Earlier this year, Teresa came on the podcast to offer skincare advice specific to triathletes. Teresa's two biggest tips were to avoid sunburn and chafing. And luckily, Iron Women podcast listeners get 15% off all Zelio skincare products, including Sun Barrier SPF 45 zinc-based sunscreen and Betwixt Athletic Skin Lubricant and Chamois Cream. Use the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com for 15% off and use Zelios products to protect your skin during all your swim, bike, run fun. Haley, getting to catch up with Jenny. I love it because we've all been racing together now for so long, but it, it does kind of make me feel a little bit old, I have to say. But I do love it. Like we've all watched each other just evolve and kind of come so far in the sport that it was super fun to catch up with Jenny and to hear where she's at now. I love it. All the growth and personal growth, professional growth. And I agree. I think we all have our best days still ahead of us. So 2021, maybe, maybe that's going to be our year. But as a reminder for our listeners, um, we will be on a break for the next two weeks. So we'll rebroadcast some of our favorite shows from 2020. And so you'll, you can still hear us, but they will be rebroadcast. And Alyssa Gadeski and I will be back in early 2021 with a brand new interview, brand new show and um, all of your favorite stuff. I mean, it's not like too much new. It's still us. It's still us, but just the 2021 version of us. And of course, we want to give a huge thank you to all of our sponsors that supported us through 2020. There may not have been much racing, but the Iron Woman podcast could not be stopped. And that is in no small part um, due to no small part from our what's that? What do I want to say? No small part of it's gratitude you, and thanks. No, no. What, uh, <laughs> Come on, you guys. This is like it's a big part. These pe these these companies play a big part. How about yes, that? these companies right. play a, a very big role in helping us keep going through a year with no racing. And so, want to thank them: Noon Hydration, Zelio Skincare, Form Goggles, Orca Sportswear, and Gooder. Thank you so much for keeping us going through 2020. If you want 
the codes and deals from these uh, amazing sponsors, head to ironwomanpodcast.com. They're all out there. And Alyssa, I will talk to you in 2021. Happy holidays and happy new year. Happy holidays and have a great New Year's, Haley. Talk to you later. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Live Feisty Media and is edited by Lindsay Glassford. Thank you to our sponsors, Zilio Skincare, Noon Hydration, Orca Sportswear, Gooder Sunglasses, as well as our Live Feisty Patreon community. You can find all website links and discount codes in our show notes or at ironwomenpodcast.com. Mm-hmm.